welcome back to 52 Founders. I'm Chrissy Costa, and I can't believe it's already episode 13, a fourth of the way through our 52 interviews. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Aksh Gupta, founder and CEO of Occasion, an SMB booking platform designed to scale customer acquisition. Hearing about Aksh's long line of entrepreneurship illuminated why he has such a strong empathy for small business owners, and I'm so excited for you to all hear your more from Aksh himself. And with that, let's dive in. coming on my show today i really appreciate it thanks chrissy enjoy uh thanks for having me on yeah um so let's get started and start by telling the listeners what occasion is uh, so occasion is an e-commerce platform for businesses that offer group experiences so uh think of uh tour uh place think of schools dance schools uh art schools things that you're not going to do by yourself like a hair appointment or a massage, but you're going to do with a group of friends or a significant other. Uh, that, those are the kinds of businesses that can use our e-commerce platform to not only schedule their clients, but also literally run their entire business and marketing operation uh, using Occasion. Great. And so how did you come up with the idea for this? And like, what, how did you find the opportunity? Uh, so in 2000. Nine, I had just started uh, attending grad, graduate school, and uh, I was also an avid tennis player in uh, Chicago. And I'm so excited to see myself, where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in 2000, yeah, so like I, uh, my buddy and I, we would uh, try and find an open tennis court in 2009 summer in Chicago. And if you know Chicago, uh, there are only a few pockets of really good outdoor tennis courts, and those are usually very, very packed. So we ended up like waiting on these courts for an hour, two hours just to get on them, and then you can only play for an hour before you have to turn them over to the next uh, person waiting in line. Um, and we were just frustrated with it. We were like, okay, well, we want to play tennis. Here we come every day or once a week. We wait for three hours just to play an hour of game why don't we become members of a private tennis club? So we became members at Midtown Tennis Club in Lincoln Park, and we found the same thing, except this time instead of waiting, we would be calling this person that we uh, that, uh, that is popularly known as a receptionist to schedule us on the court. So the conversation would literally go like, I, I, my buddy and I would text each other and say, let's play tennis tomorrow at 7. One of us would call the court, and the receptionist will say, hey, I don't have 7 p.m. open. Uh, I have 8. And then we will have to text back and say, okay, 8 doesn't work. How about 9? By the time you call the person back, they're like, okay, 9 p.m. is also booked. Uh, <laughs> then you, you just don't end up paying, playing tennis, instead playing ping pong over this uh, telephone. And we're like, screw this. Let's build a tennis reservation system uh, so we can solve our own need. And that's what we did uh, in 2010. So we built a preliminary scheduling tool that just allowed tennis players in Chicago to book tennis courts using uh, uh, on a website. Uh, it was immediately a success because young people in Chicago who wanted to play tennis, it solved their problem of uh, you know just finding an open court, paying a, uh, paying a small amount to reserve those courts and have that certainty. 
And uh, we did that for two years uh, until 2020, end of 2011, sold, uh, sold the company. And then we figured out that maybe there was a bigger opportunity to solve this for a larger market. Mm-hmm. And uh, a year and a half of research later, we decided to uh, start building occasion. So uh, that's how the genesis of the idea came out, uh, uh, is by solving literally a personal uh, pain. Yeah, so. this is so funny. I worked at um, a company called Peak out in San Francisco, which does tours and activities. Yeah. Booking. Um, and I yeah. was there right when we created the B2B product because you find that to have people booking in on the front end, you really needed to have the back end reservation suite technology. So I'm, I feel like I'm very familiar with the space. So I, one question I had, though, given my work at Peak was, you know, we were focusing on the tours and operators market specifically. Did you find any challenges that you're so um, across multiple verticals? Uh, true. Yes. Yeah, so that is an ongoing challenge in SMB tech period. Uh, so I don't think it's particularly a challenge for occasion because the market is so big there by some estimates there are close to 60 million small businesses in the u.s mm-hmm. uh, under 500 employees and uh, and the market is just so big so uh, you can build a very large tech company just focused on one single vertical uh, but i mean even though our marketing is focused on verticals we're building a product that's more general purpose utility with the idea that uh, as we get more experience uh, dealing with a certain business owner's channels challenges, we can address the next set of vertical challenges much easier. And so one last question I have before we dive into your background. Um, you know, I read a lot about AI capabilities and, and how do you see that affecting this market considering the rise of bots and things to automate out. I mean, perhaps it's on a personal scale right now, you know, to find times to book calendar appointments, things like that. But do you see that permeating your industry? And is that something you're considering? Yes, uh, so absolutely. Uh, We cannot talk about specific things that we're doing just because they're still projects. But uh, to to your point, I mean, uh, it's uh, some things that are out in the open is is just look at what's happening to the travel industry today, mm-hmm. 30 years after uh, they started building a reservation system, right? So in 1980s, Saber System started building reservations so for American Airlines, so customers could book airline tickets or have visibility into legs online, or not online, in a terminal. And 20, 15 years later, they, there came Expedia, which was able to tap into that inventory and distribute that and reconnect that uh, using different airlines. So if you were flying to London, well, you didn't have to book two different flights uh, on two different routes if you're going through New York. Expedia could do that. So we see that. And today, then you're at a point where there's a lot of price dynamicity mm-hmm. built into the airline tickets. We see that stuff playing out in other industries. Uh, and we see that, and I believe that's going to happen to services over the next like 15 to 20 years. Uh, the number one challenge becomes how do you collect all this data that is being generated? How do you analyze this data for business business efficiency uh, for the merchants? So they feel like they're partnering with a company that is not only going to just disintermediate their relationship between the customer and themselves, but also prove that they can escalate uh, their revenues. Ultimately, that's the value that we should provide to merchant partners that are signing up for occasion, using occasion, five years from now 
they don't have to do anything. They can, and the only way we can do that is by leveraging the data that we're collecting. Right, exactly. Um, awesome, that was a really great answer. So let's switch gears and uh, kind of dive into more about your background. So I'd love to hear more about your early childhood. You know, where did you grow up? What did your parents do for a living? Um, do you have any siblings, things like that, just to kind of set the stage? Yeah, I uh, I grew up in India. I uh, uh, I have a younger sibling who's a pharmacist in uh, Kansas City. Actually, we uh, we moved to the United States in 2003 uh, when my father uh, got a job in St. Louis. Uh, and uh, my father, while growing up, my I grew up around entrepreneurs. Uh, my grandfather, his brothers are entrepreneurs. My dad, his brothers. We're entrepreneurs. Uh, my wow. on my mom's on my mom's side, her brothers were entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom is an entrepreneur. Uh, she although she became an entrepreneur after uh, we grew up uh, and became wow. uh, and uh, left uh, and left the house uh, until then she was a stay-at-home mom. So uh, yeah, I mean I grew up around entrepreneurs. Uh, <laughs> so fact, you didn't have brother, anyone who fact, wasn't an entrepreneur essentially. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, like my friends, my friends' uh, families were, you know, uh, had people who had jobs, but, uh, but no, I was surrounded by people who owned businesses from the very early stage, and uh, so yeah, growing up in India, that's all I knew, and so that's... I started my first company uh, in two thousand one when I was nineteen, oh, wow. uh, uh, but yeah, uh, that's my background. So. so, what was your first company? Uh, so that was in 2001, and uh, I'm trying to uh, re- jog my memory here. So there was a company called Vogue.com in uh, in the U.S. This is still when I was back in India as a high school student. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm growing. Uh, uh, I'll be going to college in a couple of years. Why don't I? Uh, why don't I build uh, a way to get career advice? Well, let me put it this way: I was getting a lot of career advice. Uh, as to what to go study from a yeah. lot of people. I was like, well, maybe I can just put a website together that can actually distribute all this information to the rest of the people in my peer group who may be looking for career advice. So I uh, built the first uh, product just to, or website basically collecting, interviewing successful people in their industries and posting those interviews online uh, in India. And uh, it was modeled after, after a uh, after a, a website here in the U.S. called Bolt.com. So. Mm-hmm. so you really, you know, one of my typical questions is when did you first start thinking about entrepreneurship? But you are such an interesting use case because it seems like that was always on your top of, you know, that's always been top of mind for you given your family's backgrounds. Yeah, I never, I, I only held a job for a year in my entire career or entire life. So, and that job was, given to me was not even like I had to apply for it. So I hated it. I love the people I work with, but I didn't like what I was doing. So I love, but uh, yeah, it's just something that, yeah, I grew up so, around. So I didn't see in, I didn't see any of that lifestyle that suited me. So you never, you know, when you were younger, that was what you dreamed of being growing up was always your own business owner, always your own boss, even as a kid. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say your parents were entrepreneurs, what kind of entrepreneur do you mean? Because I imagine that, you know, the rise of tech entrepreneurs is something I see 
uh, nowadays, but you know, there's still a lot of small scale entrepreneurship. So I'd love to hear about what you said when your, your mom and dad are both entrepreneurs, what type of businesses they ran. Yeah. So my grandfather was, uh, was a retailer. He owned a, he owned a, a department store in India and, uh, and then he passed it on to his uh, sons, but my dad split away and he became an industrialist. So he started building a lot of electrical appliances, uh, uh, like refrigerators, uh, coolers, and uh, stuff like that. Um, uh, my uncles or my granduncles are in chemical manufacturing, uh, but none of them are in technology. I think technology is a more uh, like past their uh, past their generation, uh, mm-hmm. more in our generation. In my generation, this industry has blossomed. So yeah, they don't they don't even understand how technology and the internet and the web work. They're just happy to be uh, uh, to have tools that they currently have, which are smartphones, internet, Google, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook, just to stay in touch and have the information at the tips of their hands. But yeah, this is uh, uh, I'm probably the first person in technology. You know, it's, uh, it's funny, though, that you say that, because I always, when I worked at Peak, we worked with SMBs all the time, and I found that they, I really admired their small scale, you know, they were entrepreneurs, these people I was working with, they started their own tour operating companies, but they were so non-technical. And so I wonder, do you think that your parents being like that, um, kind of fit that role, do you think that gives you a lot of empathy for the people you're creating products for? Yeah, that is, that is actually very true. So in our company, uh, we value the proximity to our customers because you cannot build a product for them without actually working in their shoes. I think it's impossible to get into the mindset of a small business owner without actually working in their shoes. So what I do personally, I go, so my mom owns a convenience store in uh, St. Louis, uh, and I go down there uh, every six weeks to work alongside her, even though that's not our target market just to get in her mindset and understand the issues that she faces in her day-to-day, not just from a technological perspective, but also her relationship with the vendors. What kind of relationships does she value? Why does she value them? Uh, what is she expecting from her point-of-sale system when she's upgrading it from, let's say, an old-school calculator to a modern touchscreen square? Uh, like, what are those problems that she's having uh, and I uh, and I'm, I'm surrounded by team members who have parents who are small business owners, because I think that gives us the edge. Because you can just say, okay, hey, we're building this feature, but how does it actually solve the customer's pain point? How do we get close to them? And that gives us, I think, a long-term edge that may not be as tangible today, but it will prove itself over the course of time. Mm-hmm. I think that's so fascinating. I love that you do that every six weeks. Because I always felt that you really need, like you said, um, and it's funny that you mentioned the tennis thing, because I think you could think of so many interesting product features just from understanding their pain points that you wouldn't necessarily get by just having a quick interview, but maybe observing your mom um, really lets you be in her shoes. I really um, admire that. Yeah, and we're starting an apprenticeship program here for our team members to literally like go behind the scenes, behind the counter at our customers. So they, our customers will have us uh, available once a month just to work behind the counter with them uh, as apprentices. 
I think there's no other way to understanding the full scope of the problem. Yeah, the full Mm -hmm. scope of problem that we're solving for them without actually doing the work. Like, how do they use the computer? How do they use their smartphones? Just like the entire landscape, so. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I I really think that's brilliant. I have such um, admiration for product managers who have extreme empathy for the people they're building. So I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting way to do that. Um, And so going back to your parents, though, what do you think, you know, seeing them go through entrepreneurship growing up, it's such a hard career. Do you think you saw a lot of those trials and tribulations? um, And what kind of lessons did you take away when starting your own business that you saw growing up that you wanted to, to really be mindful of? Uh, Yeah, I've seen it all. I've seen the success. I've seen the failure uh, through, through it all. Uh, But uh, I think it's, uh, I think the only thing that I've learned is it's not personal. I think, uh, I think uh, people, uh, I think our identities as entrepreneurs are so much tied to our business that, that the failure of it, especially maybe not in America as much, but in India, is such a reflection of your personal failure uh, that that it can be unforgiving, especially in uh, in in any community outside any society outside of American entrepreneurship. But I think in America that's different, and I feel like that's advantageous to me because I don't I don't think even though failure is uh, is personal, it's not it's forgiving. You can you have a second chance to try again. You have a third chance to try again. And I feel that's my first lesson learned is that you don't have to be stuck. You can keep innovating, keep iterating. Um, but uh, I think that's the only thing that comes to mind right now uh, because I've seen that I've seen that failure can affect uh, a person on a very very deep level. But I think it's it's uh, the thing that I've learned here is that okay, you can take it in, learn, and then iterate for the next one. Yeah, I I find that really impressive, especially considering you said the culture of of taking it personally. How do you not take it personally? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I think I think uh, knowing that you have given it all, you've given more than you can, is good enough uh, to know that there are things that are outside your control. But if you if you have even a single regret that you did not give it all, I think that's when it becomes uh, heartbreaking. But knowing that you've given it all, I think that's that's an easy way to say, okay, it's not it's not personal. It's probably factors that are outside my control that are affecting how quickly we grow. Uh, uh, I would say that's one way of making it not personal. I don't know if that's a good question, yeah. but I'll be curious to hear what other people have to say. But that's uh, that's my thought. So yeah, I no, take satisfaction I, I, in knowing. Yeah, I take satisfaction in knowing that I've given it all and more than it all. So yeah, and I think you know, there's always going to be failures, and it's it's kind of I like you said viewing it as a learning experience as well, just because I think it'll just make you um, stronger later on. Um, so you know, it's interesting because of your background. It seems like you've been the serial founder, but is this you've been your first company really raising money, uh, raising outside capital? Yeah, I didn't. I, I did not even know this was a thing until <laughs> until uh, 2013. So, and so, what were you looking for? And fun, uh, you know, obviously, when I'm talking to you, it sounds like you really understand, 
your user um, and, and you have this long history of entrepreneurship, but sometimes venture capitalists, you know, they love to see serial founders with deep um, industry knowledge and, and you coming from a sales and marketing background in a different industry. How did you convince them that you really knew this market? I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I go back to our uh, initial round of angel investors uh, that we put together. Uh, and some of the names are very, uh, uh, very successful people in Chicago's tech entrepreneurship. And having worked through the challenges in the tennis industry, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think people valued that I had, I had built a business in this space. And I understood through that experience, even though it was a modest success, through that experience, all the different challenges of what the consumer needs are and what the business needs are. And uh, during the year and a half research period after, between the tennis business and occasion, it wasn't like we were just like researching. We were actually trying to figure out what product to build so you can scale it and how to quickly build it and what do businesses value more than other. So we had tried like different things in that 15 month period uh, to figure out where the market adoption is uh, going to be scalable. And, uh, and uh, I think when we told that story to our angel group, they were like, okay, we value this because you guys have not just sat there and done nothing. You guys have actually talked to customers and figured out what product to build and how to distribute it. Um, and uh, taking that angel round in 2014 and working diligently for two years with a very small budget on a very lean uh, a team, we are able to solve a lot of problems that when you raise a larger round when, or when you're going to raise a larger round, you can tell the story about how you're going to scale the business. And it's not just a hobby at that point. It's a real problem with a real solution for real people. Uh, and that's, I think that's our story. Uh, it didn't take much convincing except to say, look at our trajectory. Uh, look at how much wealth we have, wealth of knowledge we have accumulated. And we have built industry expertise or industry knowledge or domain experience, whatever you want to call it, by just doing the work uh, alongside customers and for them. Um, I, I think that's a great response. It was That's really illuminating to hear. And I think other entrepreneurs will, will really resonate with that. Um, and so I'm just going to, you know, we only have a few minutes left, so I'm just going to switch gears to some what I call fun questions. So, you know, in 2017, what are some other industries or trends you see emerge? I see voice interface or zero interface as becoming uh, extremely uh, is 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 on that is on that uh, S curve uh, where mm-hmm. it's climbing. Uh, if you look at what's happening to Amazon Alexa, uh, Google's uh, Google Home products, uh, I'm very interested in seeing how that changes user experience uh, in the next like five to six years. I think we're still very very uh, at the early stages, but I think it has the potential, in my opinion, to change how we went from buttons to touchscreen. I think this is the next interface that yeah. rapidly changes the input output, how it changes the user experience and, and workflows. So, What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten as an entrepreneur? Man, so many advice, so many things. I think, uh, I think uh, uh, the, best thing, the best advice I've gotten is to surround myself with mentors who have done this. I don't mean... I, I personally, I don't. I, I think the thing that I have done is around myself with successful uh, entrepreneurs uh, in technology, 
uh, and I don't mean somebody who's like just two years senior than me, but like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years senior than mm-hmm. myself, because if they have built a successful business, they will be able to relate to your problems closely than anybody else, like an attorney or an accountant, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they have, okay, they've built a technology business. Um, I think that's the best advice that I got in 2011, 2010, to find somebody that that can that that has built a business in technology and uh, have them as mentors. And I, fortunately, today I have like a dozen or so people who are available to me on, on a short notice if I have a problem uh, uh, in my business. So. I think that's great. Um, that's what I continually hear. But I also like that you pick someone so much older than you. I think that it's really important to have that experience, even though technology is constantly changing. And finally, my favorite question that I always ask, if you could interview one founder, who would you want it to interview and why? Uh, Travis Kalanick Uber. I mean, <laughs> what he's done to the taxi industry, uh, regardless of the mechanisms, the tactics, the strategies they've deployed, is what's going to happen to is what's going to happen to every other industry that's been stagnant in terms of uh, in terms of innovation. Think healthcare, think uh, public transit, think uh, any and any and every industry that hasn't seen innovation in the past 20 years. It's going to get decimated in the next five years, and it has to be done the way Kalanick has done it, uh, which is take on the regulators, take on the incumbents in a way that you just change the incentives uh, so much that they're just not able to keep up. Um, uh, I just cannot see a life five years ago without Uber, um, given that what they have done. I mean, today, yeah. I don't even take public transit. Uh, I don't just, either. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, just imagine what happens to public transit five, 10 years from now. What, ha- what is the impact on property taxes because of that? What happens to our taxes that we pay to the city and the state and the federal government? So... Uh, will they go down? Like I, I just feel like, yeah, that's why I would want to interview Kalanick if uh, uh, why and how they decided to just do uh, uh, do what they did in a way yeah. why they did it because oh, there were just oh. so many incumbent players. So. Mm-hmm. I love that you had that geared up. Um, but I, I had a great time talking to you today. It was super interesting. Um, so thank you so much again for agreeing to be on my show. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks, Rusty. Appreciate having me on. All right, and that's it for this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and stay up to date with us on Twitter at 52founders to make sure you don't miss a thing. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for another episode.